Welcome to this edition of Toby Haydock's Who's Round, in which we talk from bard to verse. We're in at the Globe Theatre. Uh, I've walked past loads of different actors today, but I'm here with somebody who holds a slightly different title. But we'll come to that later, because first I'm going to ask him to tell me who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. I am Giles Block, and I was in a storyline of Doctor Who in 1968, um, Doctor Who and the Dominators, I think it was called. certainly was, (laughs) and you were dominated. um... I was dominated because I was one of the Dulcians, that um, we were a very gentle group of people on this planet that had somehow abolished war and had become completely defenceless. And so we got invaded by the Dominators and had to be rescued by Doctor Who. Well, it's funny because it's quite of the time. It's interesting. Doctor Who is often portrayed as this sort of liberal anti-establishment show, but the Dominator seems to be going, these blooming hippies, this is what will happen if, if all this peace and love stuff... Uh, goes on. So was that, was that in the air in the late 60s for you, the, the, the sort of the peace movement and, and all of that? Did oh, you certainly. see it as a reaction against that? Yes, I'd never really put the two, two things together, you know. The, the, the offer of the job was, came out of the blue, like most job offers do, and I thought, well, Doctor Who, I'd probably just not long ago been doing two years at Nottingham Playhouse, so I thought, well, this is, this is, um, should I take this? But of course, money was always necessary, and so, yeah, I took it, and, and yeah, the peace movement was going on. We were, you know, yes, I was demonstrating outside the American embassy at that sort of time, yeah, about trying to stop the war. And, what, and what about television as an actor? I mean, it was a relatively fledgling medium and was it was it something to be aimed for or was it something that, that, that paid the bills and theatre was really where it was at? Well, I never did a great deal of television. I suppose I was probably in about 12 or 15 television things um, in my in my early, in those early years. Uh, I started work in the theatre in 1963. My very first job was at Leatherhead um, Repertory Theatre um, and I mostly worked in regional theatre uh, for the first few years of my life. Um, and television was always very welcome because, you know, it was m- more money than you got uh, weekly on a, in, a, in a regional repertory company. Um, but it was all just part... I mean, being an actor was fun. Yeah, I, enjo- I, I enjoyed television. Um, and uh, it was fun, and um, often it was nicely rewarding, and it seemed, you know, part of the package of becoming an actor that you you tried to mix as much as you could with television and stage work, Um, and so, yeah, being in Doctor Who, uh, it was five weeks' work, I seem to remember, and uh, I... I don't remember too much about it. Um, certain incidents I remember. Um, but, yeah, I was very pleased to be in it. Subsequently, of course, 
it's the thing <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, you know, amazingly still kind of makes contact with me. Because from time to time, I get little repeat fees, which can be tiny sometimes, but it's quite sweet to get these envelopes, you know, a couple of times a year at the moment. Um, and, uh, you know, occasionally in my life, people have remembered, know me from it. And, you know, so that... So, uh, something that you'd think would be just long forgotten, this amazing series, uh, yeah, it sort of means I'm one of the, sort of a band of brothers here. Oh, yeah, you, I think once you've been adopted, <laughs> immortality is assured, whether, whether, whatever else you do. Um, and, and one of those immortals, of course, is Patrick Troughton. Do you have memories of, 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 of working with him? I do. Well, I remember working with him, yes. Um, and he, was, he seemed absolutely delightful always. Um, so I, 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 do re I do remember the group uh, that we worked with. Partly, I expect, because um, it was issued on DVD and yes. I saw it again. But also... Um, in fact, a few, minimum, quite a number of years before that, maybe, maybe in the 80s or something, I, I happened to be working, uh, perhaps directing a play in America, and lining up for my lunch one day, I, the chap who was serving me this lunch, which I was having, said to me, Teal. And I thought he must be talking about... I thought, well, this must be a fish of some sort that is, <laughs> that is on the menu. And so I was phased by this at once. Teal, he said, no, you were Teal, which was the name of my character. And he said, no, I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you um, a video of, uh, of the, the series for you. So, which he very kindly did. So I suppose, therefore, about... 20, 25 years after I've made it, uh, I was given this and I probably look through it again. Uh, <laughs> See yourself in your, your lovely... Is it a skirt? Is it a... Yes, it's a funny little tunic. Yes, short tunic. That I, that, I mean, that's one of the things I do remember. Going into the dressing room allocated for me and there hanging on the wall was this article of clothing. Um, this little tunic. I don't think I'd ever be measured for it, really. I can't remember being measured for it. And I, I thought, oh, this is a bit rum. There it is, <laughs> just it's me in this room and this tunic. I'd better put it on. And, uh, and maybe that first day was one of our days on location because we did you go out... filming first, yeah. Yes. So that's probably a, a correct memory then, that uh, we went out to some kind of sand pits somewhere, walked around there a bit. And you were witness to the birth and, uh, sadly, the stillbirth of what was touted to be the great next great Doctor Who monster, which were the Quarks, who were supposed to be assuming the mantle of the Daleks, but they, they never quite took off in the way that uh, it had been hoped. No, they didn't, because they were uh, quite small. They were... Um, and I, I, th I think they were, inside, were kids mm. um, moving them around. 
And so whenever one of them, they didn't seem very threatening, though <laughs> I remember one sort of knocked, you know, zapped me to the ground at one point. But uh, for the most part, I think people f- felt rather sorry for them when they got knocked over. Well, tell, tell me about you, Giles. Because um, you're from a... What some of the listeners may not know is that you have the rare distinction of... Uh, uh, you have a sibling, and both of you have been in Doctor Who because your brother Timothy Block yes. was uh, Tanner the chauffeur in Black Orchid. So that's, uh, that's, uh, that's, quite a, that's quite a good claim to fame. <laughs> well, yes. Do you know, I'd forgotten he was in that. Yeah. Yeah. So as, as a theatrical background, what, what was No, uh, youth theatre. National Youth Theatre. It wasn't National Youth Theatre when my brother and I joined. I joined first because I'm three years older than him. And uh, I had decided at a ridiculously young age, about four, I think, that I was going to be an actor. Wow. Um, Saying it, I remember, used to make people laugh a bit. (laughs) So I thought, well, this must be good. (laughs) And um, at school, you could... I got into the play, one or two plays, but there was this neighbouring school to mine called Allen's in South London, where I knew from a quite a young age that the drama there was second to none, and that was because there was this teacher called Michael Croft, who was just about this time when I was going through school, founding the youth theatre. And I kind of joined it when it had been up and running for a couple of years. And I had a really wonderful time with them for about four years uh, while I was finishing school and through my university years. Um, and it was amazing. They, they would take a West End theatre every summer and where we would play in the West End and we got real reviews from the real critics. Um, and then Easter time, we used to go on tour to exotic places, like we took Julius Caesar mostly, round Italy, um, to Berlin, where the war was still up. And it was a wonderful way of just slowly growing up a bit, mm. all that experience. Um, and it was actually out of, my last year of being with the youth theatre, that uh, I got an agent. I never went to drama school, um, and, and sometimes I've sort of half regretted that, or I used to regret it a bit. Being an actor, which I was solely for about seven years, and then for about another seven years, I continued acting as I started directing plays. But being an actor, I realised, was fun. Mm-hmm. And for me, anyway, being, starting to direct plays was more fulfilling. There was more to a play than just enjoying oneself in a part of it and to try and orchestrate the whole was uh, something that I, I found, yeah, more rewarding in the end. So practically then, how, do you, how does an actor, who's a working actor, make the journey to you know, you can't, how do you tell the profession you're going to be a director and how did you, you, you start getting work in that direction? I wasn't always enjoying being in a play. I think I really felt this sort of, uh, in a very cute way, that if I felt we were missing stuff or we were going down an odd alley with, with a play. So 
I mean, I had done a little bit of directing when I'd been at uh, school and university. So I kind of knew that was... I knew how that felt, I suppose. Um, and what I did was I wrote... I sent off letters. <laughs> that even seems old-fashioned, doesn't it? Send off <laughs> letters. I sent off letters to about ten... Ten places, ten theatres, ten regional theatres, saying what I was doing and that I wanted to direct and that I was very happy to carry on acting and all that. And Colchester Repertory Theatre said to me, OK, um, come here for a year and we'll give you one production and you can act for us. And you can also manage our small budget, which is designed for work in schools, which I think was about £300 or something. <laughs> <laughs> so I went off to Colchester for a year. In fact, stayed there two years, because after I'd spent the first year, they said, well, if you stay on, they'll give you two productions. So that's what happened. That was, yeah, 69 to 71. And then in 77... Someone suggested, I didn't know they were going to do this, that I should go to the National Theatre as a staff director. Mm -hmm. um, I was on tour with a play, and at breakfast, I remember this actress, uh, who uh, was, she was also in the same digs, she said, I hope you don't mind, I've written to the National Theatre about you. So I followed that up, and the National Theatre said, well, come and be a... Staff director. It's funny, you know, the, where these different moments in your life take you from one mm. place to another. Um, and, it, it, and, it, and it probably is something just as simple as someone having a, a thought. Yeah. Uh, which they put into action and, and it has those repercussions. So then, anyway, I got to the National Theatre and in the end I was there for seven years. Yeah. Um, being a staff director to begin with, and then... So what does, what does a staff... What's the, what's the well, staff it's like an assistant director, but one of their main um, roles is to rehearse the understudies. Um, but also, um, it can mean yeah, putting in new casts. So, for example, Alan Aikman's Bedroom Farce, even to a greater extent with the play Amadeus. Yes. Um, when I, I went and uh, put in new people in the cast because it ran on Broadway for a long time and then there was the national tour of the play. And then I got asked to go and direct, redirect Peter Hall's production in various countries in the world, and I didn't say yes to them all, but I, I did uh, go to Denmark, and, and more importantly, in, as it turned out, Japan, um, where I went and restaged the Amadeus, and that was a huge success in Japan. And in Japan, they don't... Uh, the theatre isn't organised, you have long runs. Mostly, shows get put on for a month. Um, and the actors, especially the principal actors, they've got their whole year mapped out. 
And so uh, they do their month and then they'll move on to something completely different. Um, and, if you, and if you have a great success, what happens is you then put the play on the next year. And, and I, I redirected Amadeus in Japan nine times. I think overall I started work on Amadeus with 17 different casts. It was... <laughs> and, and it was, in a way, I could, only, I could only really do it in Japan because it was all in Japanese. I had a wonderful interpreter, but it was because I knew the place so well that it was really easy to do. And then after a while in Japan, they asked me to start doing my own stuff out there. So I did quite a bit of Shakespeare out there and some modern plays and a Chekhov. And so for about... 20 years then, that was my main source of income um, in Japan. So you're directing Japanese actors in Shakespeare translated into Japanese? Japanese, yes. And you're not speaking Japanese? No. So I had to work really hard at this. Yeah. Uh, but I did have these, almost always it was the same woman, Mie Kakikahara, uh, who worked with me, but I did work with others as well, and they were amazing. Um, that, that I could speak just like this, and they would be speaking at the same time as me to the cast. Wow. I barely needed to go slower than I just naturally speak. Now, I'm no linguist, but, but the Japanese language is an entirely different yeah. kettle of fish. And Shakespeare's language, Part of the appeal of Shakespeare yes, no, is quite. the rhythm yes, and, and yeah. indeed some of the vocabulary that some of the words only exist in Shakespeare. So how, did it, how does that... Is, I mean, is it, a, is it an, an accurate um, representation of, of what he did when the Japanese do it? Well, um, I think I always used the translation by someone who I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, Odashima. Uh, he had started translating Shakespeare um, many, I don't know, maybe a decade, 15 years before I went out there. And he would go to a coffee shop every morning and he would make his way through translating the whole of Shakespeare into, yes, admittedly, um, a modern form of Japanese. He didn't try and write in, in to capture, like, 17th century uh, Japanese. A modern form of Japanese, though, as I got to know what he did, he made a distinction between verse and prose, insofar... Yeah, although he... He, he kind of understood, he understood, yeah, the difference between those two mm -hmm. forms. Um, but he doesn't really write it in verse, I don't think. Um, what I had to do in order to work on these plays was I had to get them to translate the Jap... No, to rewrite out the Japanese script, which is, you know, in all these three different scripts they have in in Japan. Um, I got them to write it out in Roman letters so I could I could say it if I wanted to. 
Um, so that was, I, I loved going there. Mm. And I was really sorry when that stopped. I'm still in touch with you know, Christmas card time with some of, the, some of the people I met there. They were wonderful to work with. Their, their work ethic was faultless. With Japan, I would go there probably, uh, supposing, I sometimes went twice in a year. So my period of time there would be six or eight weeks and then I'd be home again six sure. or eight weeks. And I would do other things from time to time back here, but I can't remember what now. Um, after, I think, yes, after I'd left the National Theatre, Peter Hall asked me if I'd go and help him when he was in America with Dustin Hoffman doing The Merchant of Venice. Yes. And because then the English company had come over because it started in this, it started in the West End, this production. When it moved to America, some of the cast were then taken by American actors. And so there was this meeting uh, of the full company in the stalls of this Broadway theatre, and Peter Hall was talking a little bit about um, the verse. And he said something, which I'd never really thought about, but which is central, really, to all verse, which he was talking about the importance of the line ending. And I'd never thought about it, but suddenly, just everything, a lot of things fell into place for me. And I thought, yeah, yeah, there's, that's it. There's, that, of course, there's, that's it. And only the other day I was thinking, and I hadn't really thought this before, that uh, actors often say, Do, have, have you learnt your lines? Have you heard that? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yes, of course. Well, and that, I feel that must go all the way back to when things were written in verse. Learning your lines is important. Yes. <laughs> and so, and because this is kind of what I really do now, I'm thinking that is something actors have been saying, I reckon, actors have been saying this for hundreds of years because I now feel and it's been a long journey I've been on since that day Peter Hall said that I've really been trying to find my own way to describe what happens in Shakespeare and actors and text and how that comes together so that's about 25 years ago that uh, yes you, when you're acting in Shakespeare you have to do this double thing. You have, of course, to find out what your character is saying, what they mean by saying what they say, and you learn that. But also, you need to go back from time to time, and you have to look at your lines and to see how the thoughts lie in the line. Because how the thoughts lie in the lines is a way of replicating what Shakespeare heard. Now, I, I was doing a bit of heavy leaning on lie in the lines. So if that had been a bit of Shakespeare, <laughs> lie would probably be at the end of the line. And in the lines would be the beginning of the next line. So rather than going lie in the lines, 
there's something about the verse form which is telling you in a way that however you say it, and everyone would say it, everyone would say it differently, but there is something about the lie in the lines. It's a choice one makes for various reasons, and probably the most important reason is clarity. So to say lie in the lines isn't very clear because you're not emphasizing the key points. Lie in the lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when you start looking at a verse like that, um, you can begin, I feel I do, I begin to hear these potential voices rising off the page. And this is right because what some of the listeners won't know is that you've had many titles here, one of which is the wonderful master of the verse, master of the words. So when this epiphany happened 25 years ago with Peter Hall, yeah. how did, what did you do? Did you go back to the, did you, did you sort of immerse yourself in this and, 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 and this became a project of yours that you've <clears> turned into now you know, um, expertise? Yeah, so there was a big, there was a sort of gap. Um, I, so that, that was kind of 89, this moment with, with Peter Hall, I think. Um, and I was still in kind of like in the middle, not even in the middle of my time of going backwards and forwards to Japan. So I, I, I did work. I did start to work away at this um, thing about Shakespeare, and I did start to try and interest the RSC, and in particular the RSC, I think, um, in it. Um, they weren't interested. Um, <laughs> they weren't. Um, and Richard Eyre, when he was running the, the National, he, he was interested and he, he got me to, to do a couple of... Um, uh, I spent a, a week, in the stu- week or two weeks uh, in the studio working with a group of National Theatre actors on this, which went very well, and then he said, well, you must put something together, and then a little later on I... I did. I, 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 I put something together, and by that time it was Trevor Nunn who was running the National. And he was interested too, but it didn't, nothing really came of it. Then, of course, I became aware that the Globe Theatre was about to uh, be built. And so I went to see Sam Wanamaker, um, and I spoke to him and I met him on a few occasions and he got me to do a fundraising show for him. And um, so I thought, well, I really will try and see if Here would be interested. And eventually uh, I got to see Mark Rylance, who I think was initially guarded, Mm -hmm. but quite interested. And then a real, another little happy twist of fate. I was in Japan doing a production of Hamlet at the same time as the Globe Company were visiting Tokyo. And so I got um, Mark to come and, uh, uh, and Claire, uh, his wife, 
to watch the last run-through in the rehearsal room or something. And happily, he thought that was lovely. Um, and then I did a workshop for him, a little with his, some of his actors, and then the next day, which was a Sunday, I think it was the next day, he phoned up and said, so this was, we were just then coming into 1999, he said, uh, no, I, I would love you to come and uh, uh, direct uh, Anthony and Cleopatra and to be our, one of our, because there was another guy, Tim Carroll, master of, master of verse, my first sort of title. So, and that was the start of me coming to the Globe, 99. And, uh, and not that I ever intended this to happen, but the directing sort of started to fall away a bit. I did three productions here. Um, and, and, but this text work took over. And happily, I still feel I'm learning more, um, hearing more, and doing these last four Shakespeare's has been a, a, such a, well, almost too much of a, a pleasure, and, uh, <laughs> because they are so rich, each mm. of them. Um, and the extraordinary thing about Shakespeare is that his, the way he writes is always changing. Mm. It's always moving, and it's changing insofar as he's trying to capture more and more of just the way people talk in different situations. And so whereas the early Shakespeare, you certainly feel you're watching the most you know, bravura characters uh, striding the stage, each, most of these characters in these early plays are incredibly confident, even if they're rather foolish, they're confident. Um, to people who are not confident at all or people who are caught in such extreme positions that... Uh, um, and then the way the lines appear start to change. Um, and the lines become more broken. Whereas the early, the early stuff is all pretty confident. The line and thought run together. And then it's more, it's, more fractured. Then. It's more fractured, mm -hmm. yeah. But that doesn't mean well, that's the mistake one can make that one then thinks, oh well, then. And a lot of people write about it as if, as if this is the point that uh, the, the, the lines mean less and less. In fact, they kind of mean more and more. And uh, you've only got to look at. Uh, yeah, these late plays, just to see um, how exquisitely he can lead you gently into finding the way that a thought can best be expressed. So a young actor then listening to this who might be daunted by, by Shakespeare, especially those I remember doing reading Winter's Tale when I was doing an A-level, having done the Scottish play and found it a bit of a doddle. And then we got to Winter's Tale and <laughs> No, wow. Winter's Tale is pretty cruxy. 
So what, what, what is the key to a, a, an actor approaching Shakespeare's verse then to not be daunted by it and actually to use it as, as a tool rather than as something to, to be overcome? I hate to mention this, but I, 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 I wrote a book which came out in 2013 where I tried to put down everything that I thought would be good advice for an actor. Um, and, and some of the advice um, there makes you realise that, to begin with, what, how the verse, especially the verse, lies on the page, seems a bit counterintuitive. Um, because it's like, where are these lines going to? Um, it's so you've got to do this thing of finding out what something means and seeing where the whole thought goes to and then you go back to the text and you see, you begin to see how this person, this particular person in this particular situation is feeling their way through something which might be very emotional there's always a lot and when emotion comes into what we're doing it then breaks up what we're saying I mean the, I, so there's this marvellous speech of Hermione's in the Winter's Tale when she's on trial and so the, the line endings here are very very strange so it goes since what I am to say must be but that which contradicts my accusation and the testimony on my part, no other but what comes from myself, it shall scarce boot me to say not guilty. Mine integrity, the encountered falsehood, shall, as I express it, be so received. So, now there's probably no punctuation at the ends of any of those lines. But, which is because, yeah, the, the thought carries on, since what I am to say must be but that which contradicts my accusation. But in saying it, if you try to say it like that, it would be a bit of a, a tough to do that all on one breath, which you probably might just be able to. But it wouldn't reveal the strain she's under, the emotion she's feeling, since what I am to say must be but that which contradicts my accusation. And, of course, the verse is also gently, gently pointing you to the key words, because that little inevitable rhythm, which can have lots of variation in it, but the rhythms, you're drawn into the rhythm. So, I think that's... And that takes time. It's taken me time, but that takes time just to kind of um, to be able to look at that and see oh, that's the opportunity here. Um, and so, in a nutshell, the late verse will very frequently have, for example, the word "and" at the end of a line, as one of those lines I try to re remember then. Uh, there's an and at the end of the line. Now, Shakespeare never puts an and 
at the end of the line in his early plays. In fact, I think the first and he puts at the end of a line, I believe, my, I think, I could be proved wrong about this, but I think it's in All's Well That Ends Well. Okay. So that's quite, that's yeah. about 1603. So, but he, you see, what, he, what he's done is he's heard how people, when they're talking to each other, will very frequently say something and they want to say something else. Yeah. And in fact, I hear it on interviews when people are trying to keep control of an interview. They'll say something, something, something. And I want to add this before I finish. <laughs> so, yes. So it's, uh, it's, and there, so he's, he's here, he hears it. That's what he does. He hears the way people speak and is fascinated by it. And... I don't think he write, I don't think he puts anything down on paper until he's heard the whole play in his head. Now that's a bit bizarre. I can't prove that, but <laughs> I do say I say that in, in this book I've written. Wow. So that's an extraordinary brain. I mean uh, extraordinary, extraordinary brain, brain anyway. Yes, but... extraordinary brain. And may not be very comfortable to have that as your brain. No. See, Mozart, before he writes, he's actually got it all. And I learnt that because when I did Amadeus at the National, Harrison Burt Whistle was our, Sir Harrison Burt Whistle was the um, musical director on that, musical director, advisor. Um, and he told us all how that you could tell how much Mozart wrote in a day because he dates his working day. He puts the date at the top and he, and, and he does his stuff and then the next day comes and he carries on and he dates it again. And Harrison said to us, someone copying what Mozart has written could not copy all that he wrote in a day. Wow. So, you know, when you look at those scores, I don't know, there's 16 instruments and eight voices. But, you know, I, I, I was watching The Tempest last night and, you know, to think how anyone could do what he's done is just, yeah, it, take, it, well, it completely takes your breath away. Yeah. I mean, I could do this all day, but uh, I'm, I'm conscious of your time. I've already spent more, of, taken more of your time than I said I would. You've kindly given your time, uh, so uh, we would like a charity to benefit uh, from that. So the listener who hasn't paid for this, um, we would ask them to donate to what is your charity, Jones? It's called Practical Action. Um, it's 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 um, a charity which. Gives money um, to and, and funds projects, um, countries abroad, uh, but it's it's uh, it, it works on a very small scale. It uh, it finds usually simple practical actions like putting a well in, which ch fire changes a community somewhere. Um, so they work. 
all over the, all over the world um, where some need is, but they, are, they, they deal in simple solutions um, to what are really huge problems. Um, and they, it's very community-based. Um, and so it was a, ch a charity that my mum, when she was alive, supported. And when she died, I decided uh, I would carry on supporting it. And the final question, which I've burdened myself <laughs> with since the very first one I did, is what is your message to the Doctor Who fans out there? Well, I... Well, I, I, I wish them all well. And I... I'm delighted that uh, I have this connection, tiny, tenuous connection, with so many, many people. You know, it's... Uh, and it, it, something that will be a connection all my life, I suppose. It won't go away. And I probably will say yes if I'm asked to go to another <laughs> of these reunions, meetings, sharings of stories yeah so uh blessings and uh happy reunions and may the series go on forever well thank you for saying yes to doing this and for <laughs> i'm just overjoyed that as i say the dominators facilitated uh, uh, you know all of that stuff uh, about shakespeare that was so <laughs> fascinating so charles block thank you very much you. that was brilliant i hope that was okay for you My thanks to Giles, who was a charming fellow. And I've brought this interview forward. It was actually done very recently because we touched upon, we talked at more length in the full interview, about the late plays season at The Globe that Giles has been heavily involved with, which is Shakespeare's The Tempest, Cymbeline, Pericles, The Winter's Tale, which are playing until the 21st and 22nd of April. If you want to hear some of the uh, uh, practical outcome of Giles's input into the verse speaking and watch Doctor Who actors uh, like uh, Joseph Marcel who's playing the title role in Cymbeline um, and uh, future Who's Rounders Sam Cox and John Joe O'Neill so um, check those out uh, at The Globe which you can find at shakespearesglobe.com In the meantime please donate to Giles's charity which is practicalaction.org practical action all one word dot org um, every little helps and if each of you that listen to this give just a little bit it actually would make uh, quite a sizable donation so it'd be nice if you could do that uh, there's another who's around coming at the same time next week uh, and in the meantime maybe check out my virgin giving page for the 10k run that i'm doing for the psoriasis association uh, i'm on twitter at toby Haydock at T-O-B-Y-H-A-D-O-K-E uh, and Big Finish is at Big Finish. See you next time. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. You want to know why I did it? Come closer, I'll tell you. The reason is because I am a master. Doctor Who, Vampire of the Mind. I've had an email too. Uh, My application was fast-tracked. It seems I've been accepted. They're setting up a laboratory for me. What? The place has been empty for years. Must be halfway to falling down by now. 
It was always a weird place. Oh, Dr. Scott, it's you. Dr. Threadstone. It's Heather. Uh, Damien, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. Call me Damien. Uh, oh, there's a, there's a figure. Several figures. I, I, I can't quite make them out. But there is something odd about them. They're, they're moving like, like they're, they're in a daze. Pale as corpses, they said, wandering about in a trance-like. Since then, you'll be lucky to find anyone who'll go near the place after dark. <laughs> Doctor! Doctor, oh. do something! Help me! Don't worry, Heather! I will! <laughs> Somehow! It really won't, you know. But don't you worry, Doctor. It'll be your turn soon enough. Big finish. We love stories. I'm a time lord. Of course I'm inhuman. <laughs> <laughs>